The sermon text reading this morning is found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this, only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is God's Word. Please be seated. We continue our series in the book of Galatians, and we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Uh, and so I invite you to open your Bibles and keep those open. We'll spend most of our time there. And uh, I want to bring you back up to speed in terms of what's going on in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul, in one of his first journeys, went to Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and shared the gospel with a bunch of people from a non-Jewish background. And they came to faith in Christ. And as a result of that, several churches were founded. Shortly after Paul's departure, some people came to those churches and told them essentially everything Paul told you was exactly right, except for the things that he left out. And the things that he left out are these. That is, that if you want a relationship with God, you do need Jesus, but you also need to do certain things. And they pointed towards some traditions from their own Jewish backgrounds that came from the Old Testament, things like obeying certain food laws and circumcision for the men. They said without these things, <clears throat> you cannot have a relationship with God. Paul takes issue with this. As a matter of fact, the whole Bible takes issue with this. And so Paul is writing this letter to these churches saying, you have gone astray and you've been given a message that is false. And he's a little bit cranky about it. And, and I'm not saying that to be remotely silly because what we saw last week was, was really the importance of this issue. The issue had spread enough to where when Paul visited Antioch, one of his fellow apostles the Apostle Peter, when other Jews showed up from Jerusalem, decided that he would no longer eat Gentile food and he would no longer sit at the same table with Gentiles because it made him look bad with his fellow Jewish believers. And so he separated himself from those people. And what that led to was a belief and an understandable belief that, well, golly, I guess we do need to maintain obedience to the Old Testament law in order to have a relationship with God. And Paul got in the middle of that and had a conversation with Peter publicly where he dressed Peter down and said, Peter, you are leading these people astray because it is by faith alone in the Lord Jesus that someone has a relationship with God. So that was the text that we looked at last week, this kind of internal battle, this internal struggle that took place in Antioch, which is a big city in, in Syria. 
And, and, and Paul wrote about that account, and it was addressed to the Galatians. But in the letter that he's writing to these churches in Galatia, he now turns his attention directly back to those churches, and he is directing, directing his attention specifically to them. He says, I'm no longer talking about Peter. I'm no longer talking about the issues in Antioch. I want to talk to you guys again. I'm no longer telling you about what happened there. I'm telling you about what's going on with you. And that's how our text starts this morning. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In English, and the way we normally talk in 2023, that doesn't sound very uh, threatening. Um, doesn't sound very harsh. Oh, you foolish bonehead. You know, I say that to my kids all the time. <clears throat> I mean, it's their nickname, bonehead. I don't call them idiots very often. And, and we could translate it that way. I would never call anybody a fool to their face. But Paul is on the verge of calling these people fools. They're acting foolishly. They have abandoned truth for a lie is the point of Paul's exercise. Oh, you foolish Galatians. You see, if, if I wrote a letter to one of you as a friend and said, oh, foolish Bob, we wouldn't think much of it. But suppose it was the founding pastor of the church that you currently attended who had actually brought you into a relationship with God through Christ by sharing with you the gospel and you had known him for quite a while and he had stayed in your home and you got a letter from that pastor calling you foolish. Ah, it would carry a little bit different weight. That's the kind of weight we need to feel here. Who has bewitched you? We dumb that down. Most of you in the room are too young to remember the TV show Bewitched. <laughs> it was clever and, and she was cute. And, and so the word has no meaning to us. Um, it's almost trite. I don't have time to unpack what, what it really means in the original, but I, I want to give you the weight of it. It's, it's, it carries with it the idea of sorcery or black magic or things straight from the pit of hell. Who has given you the evil eye and brought you into darkness out of light. Bewitching is, is not just telling somebody a lie, but trying to lead them from truth into a lie, and that lie is from the pit of hell. That's the weight that Paul sees with this issue, you see. Oh, foolish Galatians... Who has turned you from truth 
to a lie, but not just a lie like we think of a lie, but a lie right from the pit of hell. Boy, that would be a, a tough way to start a conversation. He goes on, you see, because he says, it was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I myself painted like on a billboard the picture of the crucified Christ for you so that you could understand what relationship with God through him in faith looks like. But in my absence, you have been bewitched into all the darkness that the devil can throw at you. That's the weight of what's going on in Galatians. Because, you see, these people have told these people, it's, it's what Jesus has done plus something. Plus something. And Paul says to believe that is to be bewitched. To believe something that is not only untrue, but is right from the pit of hell. And these people were starting to believe it. Starting to believe that faith in the Lord Jesus was not enough, but they needed to do something else. There's a lot more I could say about the original language here, but, but the original language carries with it the idea behind the motivation of the message that was brought to the Galatians. And you know what's interesting? The motivation for this message was envy. In other words, the people who came to the Galatians were envious of the freedom that they enjoyed in Christ, the freedom from all the other things that they felt emburdened people, and they said, because we're emburdened, we want you to be as well. That was their motivation. And so they said it's Christ plus something, which Paul says is right from the pit of hell. Isn't that fascinating? What envy will bring about. And so these messengers who had came with this message, who came with a Jewish background, were envious of these Gentiles who had freedom in Christ and they wanted to enslave them and to entrap them. And in that enslavement and in that entrapment, they were going to tear those people away from the Lord Jesus. And so Paul, in this text, gives us three arguments. And, and, and the arguments are very straightforward. The, the, the one or two of them are a little technical, and I'm trying to be as clear as I possibly can. Uh, the first argument is, is really contemporary. What he does, Paul asks his audience four different questions about their own experience. You know, how did you end up in a relationship with God? And we'll walk through those four questions fairly quickly. And then what he does in argument two is he goes to Jewish history 
from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that these, um, these deceivers would have used in order to enslave these people again. But he says, let me show you how from the true Jewish history, your argument and the argument that they have given you makes absolutely no sense at all. And then his third argument is, if you believe what they have told you, you're cursed. Not only is it a lie, but you're, you're cursed. Not only does it come from the pit of hell, it actually makes you cursed. And so we're going to walk through those three arguments. And, and so just listen with me. And you are now a comparatively young believer, and your pastor is writing you a letter, and, and he's saying, let me talk to you about your own experience. And he starts in verse 2, and he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God which represents your relationship with him through Christ, okay, so that's when he's talking about the Spirit. That is when he's talking about the Holy Spirit who now indwells you, who signifies your new relationship with God through Christ. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Straightforward question. Did, did you come into relationship with God by doing something on your own or did you come into relationship with God by the hearing of faith? And I need to explain that word because it's, it's technical in this regard. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that it can be translated. All of us in this room at one point or another have heard the gospel. Heard the truth of the message of how someone has a relationship with God through Christ. I hope that all of us but maybe not all of us, that hearing that message led us by God's grace to place faith in Christ so that we have a relationship with God through Christ. Now, what I'm not saying is that we're all born with a cup of faith and, and then we go through life and then figure out where to pour that cup of faith. Faith itself is a gift from God, and, and when we hear the gospel message, if God so chooses, he grants us faith to place in Christ. And so that is what the hearing with faith is, hearing the gospel alone, but actually placing the faith that God grants in that moment into that message. Do you see what I'm saying? So Paul says, did you come to faith by doing something on your own, or did you come to faith in Christ because he granted you faith to place in that? Second question, verse 3, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected in the, in the flesh? In other words, if your relationship with God through Christ began with faith, did somehow along the way the process change? That now your relationship continues and, and is maintained by your efforts and your works? You know, that, that's his question. Did your relationship start in faith, but now is, 
is continuing by works. I mean, you know, I've, I, was, uh, I ran track in high school. We, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was a sprinter. Believe it or not, I was quick. But, but I couldn't go a distance, you know. If somebody had asked me to run a mile race, I would have run half of the first lap and in modern vernacular called an Uber and had him pick me up for the rest of the race. But you see, if that had been the case, I wouldn't have run the race. You don't change modes of transportation halfway through. It doesn't make sense, and, and you're disqualified along the way, you know? And so Paul says, did you begin in your relationship with God in faith, and then it is perfected in the faith? And, th and then he doesn't answer these questions. They're somewhat rhetorical. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You see, persecution had already begun to come to the Christians in that part of the world, and the Galatian church had been touched by it. And, and he says, were you persecuted because you maintained fidelity to the law or to works? Or were you touched by persecution because of the faith that you per, put in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then his fourth question, verse 5 does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, look at your lives practically in terms of your relationship with God. Is that maintained? Does that progress? Do you see growth, development, and fruit because of faith or because you worked? Four very basic, simple questions. Examine your own lives, your own experience. How did you begin? How do you continue? How do you see fruit? Is it because of something that you do? Or is it because God granted you faith to place in his son? Now, any logical person, and we've had this discussion in the past, logic is no longer in place in 2023. Uh, you can't reason with people because my facts don't matter, you see, is, is part of the problem. But your experiences, which is where Paul begins, hopefully will at least get their attention. But then he, he turns toward uh, Israelite history, and he begins to speak about Abraham in verse 6. Now, Abraham, most of us know, was the father of the Israelite world. He wasn't, he wasn't born a Jew. He was made a Jew because Jews didn't exist. He was a guy that came out of Chaldea that God called out of that. And, and from Abraham became, he was the father of the nation and the Jewish nation was born and, and so on and so forth. And, and so he moves into this argument. It's kind of a continuation of the one before just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, now what Paul does, and I, I won't take the time to do this, but in verse 6 through 9, Paul uh, quotes from what we call the Old Testament. And down into the next argument, he quotes the Old Testament at least seven times. 
and alludes to it, and there are probably many more. He quotes from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy, he quotes from Genesis, he quotes from Joel, and then there are some allusions to other places in the New Testament. But, but here's the story very quickly, and you can find this in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15. After Abraham is called out, and by the way, at this point in Abraham's life, he was no great saint. saint. Uh, you know, unless you think that Abraham was such a good guy that he was a logical and great choice by God to start a nation. I mean, he had already kind of sold out his wife in terms of his relationship with her. He had a nephew that was a train wreck. And, and we, we have a lot of things going on in Abraham's life that don't stand him up as a poster child of righteousness at this point. So all of us would feel very comfortable with Abraham if he were in the room in terms of his lifestyle and morality, is all I'm trying to say. But God came to him and gave him a bunch of promises. And God said, among things, from you is going to come a great nation, and the, the number of the people that are going to be a part of this nation are going to be like the stars in the heaven and the sands in the seashore. And he said, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And I'll comment about that in just a moment. But in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham's faith was what justified him before God. Not anything that Abraham did. Faith can be defined as taking God at his word. That's what faith is. God says it. I trust and believe in it. Consequently, I'm credited as righteous. In particular, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. But here Paul begins and he says, just as Abraham believed God, and this is where he quotes Genesis 15, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Now back in chapter 12 is where the promise was made that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In other words, the people who truly belong to the nation that is going to be created by Abraham are people of faith, you see. That's going to be the identifying earmark. Now, here's the interesting fact about all of this. The law of God, which is good, true, righteous, and holy, hadn't even been put on the scene yet when all this is taking place with Abraham. The law was given 430 years after the events we're talking about in Genesis 12 and 15. And God has just declared Abraham righteous without the law. But see, these Galatian people are being told that if they don't adhere to the law, they can't have a relationship with God. And Paul is saying, well, wait a minute, Abraham had a relationship with God, 
before the law was ever on the scene. Because he took God at his word. He put faith in what God had said. But these Jews who are sons of Abraham say that faith is not important, but works are. This is a major conflict Paul is pointing out. Again, we have to employ logic. Sorry about that. Not very popular then, not very popular now, but we do have God-given minds to make these arguments solid. Verse 8, And Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I'll try to streamline this and make this very clear. He's quoting from Genesis 12 and 15 at the same time, and he's saying, when I promise that through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, that means Gentiles. When you see the word nations in the Old Testament, it refers to Gentiles, people outside the Jewish community, people who don't belong to, quote, the community of Abraham. But God is saying, and Paul is quoting here, when I promise to Abraham, not only would you be a great nation, but through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that means the Gentile community as well. And by the way, Galatians, that's who you are, a bunch of know-nothing Gentiles. And all of you will be children of Abraham because of faith in what God has said. The criteria has always been the same for Jew and or Gentile. Faith in what God has said. And he says, I, I foreshadowed or I, I, I gave Abraham a glimpse of the gospel beforehand. Now, he didn't give Abraham the name Jesus. He didn't talk about a Roman cross. He didn't talk about events that were going to take place centuries later. But he was saying the gospel is always based on faith in what God has said about his securing his people to himself through faith. And this is Paul's second argument. Then the last argument is chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And, and this is where Paul essentially says, if you are going to live under the law, or if you are going to add anything to faith in Christ, you are cursed. Now the best example of works that we have is the Old Testament law. And the reason why it's the best example is because it was God-given. And it was perfect, and it was holy, and it was just, and it was right, and all the rest of it. But throughout history, both Jew and Gentile, and us today, and we're going to spend a lot of time clarifying this next week. In other words, what is and was the purpose of the law? But everybody's always been confused about it. It's God-given, right? It's right, it's just, but, but how do we 
What are we supposed to do with it? And most of the Jews throughout history have said, I've got to keep the law in order to have a relationship with God. And that's exactly what these people were telling the Galatian churches. Well, here's what happened. When, when Israel crossed the promised land and went into, I'm sorry, crossed the Jordan River and went into the promised land for the first time, one of the things that they did was they divided the nation into two groups of people. Six tribes on one side, six tribes on the other side. I won't tell you which tribes at this point. It doesn't matter. And they were commanded, one group of people, to go up to Mount Ebal, and the other group was commanded to go up to Mount Gerizim. And what they did was to recite the law to each other, the law given by God, and one group was to highlight the blessings that came from the law, and the other group was to recite the curses that came upon the people for not obeying the law. And the purpose of that exercise, you can read about this in the book of Deuteronomy, the, the purpose of this exercise was to humble all the people in two ways, to see how righteous the law was and how great the God was who created it, but also to point out that nobody could live up under it, that the weight of the law was so great that it would drive people essentially to their knees saying, Lord, what can we do? And that would begin to produce faith in the people, you see? And the concluding verse, the concluding verse in the, in the curses section in Deuteronomy is quoted by Paul in verse 10. Let me just read verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be, and this is where he quotes Deuteronomy, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul is telling these Galatians, listen, it's not just the food laws and it's not just circumcision. If you don't live perfectly under the whole law, since the beginning of time, since God gave the law, he said, if you don't live under it perfectly, which no one can do, you're going to be accursed. To live under the law, to add something to what Christ has done, is cursing you, is putting you under a burden that you cannot bear, is the argument of Paul. You can't do it. And he continues, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for it says, and here he quotes the prophet Habakkuk, toward the end of the Old Testament, that the righteous shall live by faith. So essentially what Paul is doing, again logically, is saying at the very beginning of the Old Testament law, the law puts man under a curse because he can't live up to it. At the very end of the Old Testament, in the book of Habakkuk, he says it was never intended for man to do anything other than live by faith. For the righteous shall live by faith. And by the way, Paul picks that up 
and quotes it in the book of Romans and in places where we're very fond of quoting and so on and so forth. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them and then consequently be under a curse. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul is not painting the law in a bad light. He is not saying there is anything wrong with the law. It was God-given. It's perfect. It's right. It is just. Its purpose was to show that humanity cannot fulfill it. Therefore, he needs a vehicle to deal with the curse that comes from the lack of obedience to the law. And Paul says, Christ became that curse. He took upon himself your curse for being disobedient to what God has laid out for you. And he quotes Leviticus, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And lastly, in verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promised relationship with God has always been provided by God by placing faith in what God has said. And his final revelation, his final fulfillment, his final word on the subject is, my son has taken for you the curse. Now we understand why it's from the pit of hell to say, I can add something to what Jesus has done. Now we understand why Paul calls his beloved foolish and says, who has bewitched you? But I want to say in closing these, these things. It, it's really subtle. For us, our temptation is not necessarily to run back to the Jewish law. But it's, but it's mankind's problem throughout the ages to believe that he can add something to his salvation. That he can contribute to the cause. Give enough money, be baptized this way, say this prayer so many times, do this, do that, Think this way, act this way, wear this kind of clothing, be baptized in this particular water, and you're okay. That is what Paul says is from the pit of hell. I hate to say it, but Paul does. This isn't Dave. 
I want us to see it in black and white. Paul doesn't say it doesn't matter. Paul says it matters enormously. Enormously. And he has already said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If anything is added to what Christ has done, he died in vain. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray that that I have been clear and I ask, Lord, if I've been unclear or untruthful in anything, that you would wipe the, the falsehood from the minds of these people. We have tried to understand your word through the Apostle Paul to a world that does everything in its power to make the death of the Lord Jesus meaningless. And I pray that those of us in this room and that the gospel we share with others would be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith alone in him. That people from our lips would hear a gospel through which you would grant faith to others. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.